0: Hey there, welcome to another episode of Talk to Tatiana, and this episode starts the series of um, me interviewing people who are entering the profession of bookkeeping, um, who've been in bookkeeping for some time. Um, So it's really to bring value to you as a listener and to teach you a little bit more about what bookkeeping is about, who it's good for what questions arise as you enter a new skill, whether it's bookkeeping or not, and so on. And today, I would love to welcome Laura to the show. Laura uh, will talk a little bit about um, her journey uh, in bookkeeping and before bookkeeping. And so, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me and letting me ask you my questions. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so yes, so some of the episodes that where I uh, feature bookkeepers will be a coaching episodes where I will answer questions and mentor and guide someone who is looking for answers and support them this way. So Laura is one of them. So Laura, please talk about your career path, uh, where it started and where you are today.
1: Okay, so I... I'm Laura. I'm in my 40s. I'll just tell the audience I'm in my late 40s. And um, I grew up in California in the Central Valley, which didn't really suit my personality. Um, I'm a big fan of plants and animals um, and nature. And so I escaped the Pacific Northwest kind of right after high school. Um, I thought I would be doing conservation and ecology, but I found that that was just going to feel like a defeating lifestyle. And I was really pragmatic with debt and money or pragmatic enough that I wanted a stable career. And I was studying science in college and a chemistry teacher said, you're good at this. And I'd already thought of being a teacher because I had done AmeriCorps. And so I thought, okay, I'll be a chemistry teacher. And I actually found that I loved chemistry. I loved the periodic table and fires with kids and how I could really excite them. And so I was a teacher in the Portland metro area for 19 years, 18 years at the same school. Um, Early in my career, I looked at getting out and becoming a physician's assistant or doing art restoration, but I just stuck with teaching because I had the student loans and I had my summers off and I had a really great community at my school and I became very good at it. Um, And the money grew and I was able to buy myself a house in Portland, which I was so proud of, but I kind of reached a point in 2019 where it really, or maybe before then it really stopped feeling good anymore. And then the pandemic hit and things got really hard and I had no family in Oregon. So I was spending holidays alone and I was lucky enough to meet a wonderful man and partner who lived in California. And so I made the dramatic life change and the bold choice to leave my career, sell my home, leave Portland and restart my life in California closer to family and my partner. And that was at the end of 2021. Um, and I thought I was going to go get a PhD. I applied to go to PhD in environmental systems. But really quickly after that, I was like, I'm not sure I want to be doing this. And one day on the beach, when I was searching, I thought about living a life where I could live by the beach or I could live whatever I wanted and work from home. And I thought of bookkeeping. And when I got home, I Googled it and the pay range was really not great. And I thought, well, I can't do that. And being a CPA is a lot of school. But then listening to a podcast, I heard you present about bookkeeping, Tatiana. And you said, oh, you can earn good money and you can set your own schedule and be your own boss. And you can help people like you can help a business owner accomplish their dreams and you just got to get the right training. And I was like, where am I going to get the right training? And then by the end of the podcast, I realized I could get the right training with you. So I took the course and I loved it. And from the start, I was like, oh my God, I should have done bookkeeping all along. This should have been my side gig while I was teaching. Um, and I am in the fortunate position because I sold my home that I haven't had to immediately find clients. So I've been able to like take all the steps of starting the website, getting an LLC, getting my local permits um, being a pro bono bookkeeper so that I can build my confidence because from coming from teaching, I don't have a lot of confidence in doing other things. Um, and so now, um, I've actually come to this point where I'm like, okay, I am totally ready to start getting paying clients. Like, which is nice to not have forced myself into it quickly. Um, so
0: that's where I am. Awesome! I love it. I love the story. I didn't know some of the, some parts of it. I knew I've known some parts, but not others. And so, thanks so much for going, for giving this synopsis. It's been really great. And I would love to be able to help answer your questions where you are. And um, but b- before we dive into the questions, I would love for you to talk <clears throat> about kind of the ways, the way that you've been approaching finding clients, um, and how, and talk a little bit about the pro bono work that you've done. And why you felt it was important, um, you know. I, I understand. From what I understand, it was more to give you confidence in what you're doing because um, in my program gives you the skills and the theory behind it, but also you need to get your hands on the actual business's books to to get that confidence. Um, and so that first client, that first um, engagement, is really important. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about how that happened and. Um, and what the feedback or response has been from those people that you've worked for. Absolutely. And I
1: do think if I was a different person who... I have trouble feeling like a natural businesswoman, which is one of my questions, but I do feel like like if I was a different person, I would have taken a different path. Or if I had different circumstances where I didn't have a little... The first time in my life, I could not work since I was 16 because I sold my house. Um, So I went on... Goodness, now I'm forgetting the websites, but I think I went on upwork, oh, catch a fire. I went on volunteer sites and I found some places that needed bookkeepers. And the place that I chose to work with, there were a few places, but the one that I chose to work with was a place called Start Small Think Big. And there were other places too that are like, they it's like they just learned, oh my God, businesses are failing because of bookkeepers. So there was another place called Score that wanted to have volunteer bookkeepers, but they wanted more of a mentor role that I didn't feel like I just wanted to do bookkeeping. Um, and so surprisingly, um, people don't respond as eagerly to volunteer bookkeepers as you would think. So I contacted a lot of their people, but only about a few responded back. Um, and I can't tell you how much I learned. I learned so much from your course, but actually doing the bookkeeping and like getting over the the feelings of having your first meetings with people and having them cancel and reschedule um, has been really powerful for me. I also, so basically I'm doing two cleanup projects that are really different. And one of them, the project had bookkeeping through one of the softwares. I don't know if we want to name it. Um, And it wasn't, it's, it's, it's what you described as a mess. Like I wouldn't actually know how to fully clean up these books. And I was able in that meeting to meet with that person's accountant, who was also a volunteer And I was nervous about the meeting. It was about an hour. And he started talking about debits and credits and how he thinks of everything in form of journal entries. And I just thought, oh my goodness, if I had taken any other bookkeeping training, I would be in a puddle right now. But Tatiana taught me about normal balances and all this accounting 101. So I pulled out the charts and I was able to speak with him with intelligence, ask clarifying questions. And at the end of the meeting, the accountant, the retired accountant just said, he was very impressed with me and he thought I would have a strong bookkeeping career ahead of me. And that was a really nice ego boost to hear that, not from you or from my aunt um, or a friend, but to hear it from an accountant after just an hour's conversation with me where I fully admitted things I didn't know. Um, and I have really felt like I've helped these clients. Um, I've exited one pro bono client and made kind of a how to video for them and given them some resources. I'm still working on a second pro bono case. And this case is really kind of empowering because they weren't in QuickBooks before. So I'm able to make sure stuff is right from the start for them. And again, I come up with a, like something happens and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And I feel like, I don't know how to do this. This isn't going to work out. I'm not smart enough to be a bookkeeper. The evil critic in my head starts talking. And I don't ask you all the questions because you have a life, but I go to Google and honestly, I find an answer. And then it's so empowering that you learned that thing and you can take that with you into your career. So I'm continuing with the second pro bono client and I'm excited to wrap that up. And um, eventually, and now, um, like what feels best to me is I want to contact bookkeeping and accountant for firms for overflow work. That's what feels like the most direct path. I could also learn from them and I could get a wider variety of clients before I actually start marketing myself to individual businesses, although I have a website. So that's where I'm heading next. I also have friends um, in, in the art world and I'm going to be helping my friend who does, who owns a gallery, who does other things. I'm going to be helping my friend with their books. And then they're going to probably introduce me to some people. But, you know, I really want to dive into the accountants and the bookkeepers of the world. And I have some questions for you about
0: that. So that's awesome
1: where I am. Awesome.
0: Let's let's dive into the questions. Thanks so much for sharing that. I think it's important because you're you found me kind of independently um and I am and will give you more of my work as well because I see the attitude I see the uh the knowledge um and it's because when I was studying accounting I was an excellent student and I look for that excellence in my students as well and so it's really great to see when you know to recognize it when I see it and so I'm thankful for for that and also, your experience, you found me almost randomly, and you trusted my program, you got into my course, you got through it, and now you have results that you're generating. And so it's really good for me to see to see that progress from someone who's not related to me, because obviously my sister, you know, she... <laughs> Is my sister and um, the other people, some other people who've gone through the program are, I don't know, friends or acquaintances. There are students like you who've gone through the program. There are students like you who bought it but never finished it. That also happened. Um, Maybe they already had some knowledge. Maybe they just needed some additional foundational stuff. I don't know what the reasoning is. Maybe they just got too busy in life. But um, I would love for you to ask me questions and so that I can support you in your business and building the life from the beach, which is also a goal of mine, (laughs) (laughs) which which I, which I could do now, but the kids are in school. So it's a little harder. There's a little, there's another level of that, Um, you know, but but definitely um, in, in, in the future for us.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely, one more thing about your training while I was taking it And I watched other videos, mainly done by men, some done by women, but it was so dry and boring. And I would have, I don't think I would have stuck with it if it wasn't for your empowering message of be your own boss, live your life on your own terms, which was something as a former teacher I really needed to hear. And the idea that I could work from home, get a migraine if I have a migraine and that's okay, take care of my body and my mind and my family or my pets, um, and also make the income I was making as a teach, veteran teacher, eventually um, it, just, it just resonated so much with me and it kept me going. Um, so about contacting bookkeeping and accounting firms, uh, maybe I'll just ask a few questions.
0: Mm-hmm. When
1: I'm looking at websites, am I looking for anything specific or red flags before I contact them? But also do I need to start in my local community? Um, and I will just share that I am back in the community I grew up in and I'm definitely dealing with some of that, but I have some, I never felt safe here. I never felt like I fit in here originally. And I certainly don't feel like that in the, as a woman in her late forties. Um, and, Like, do I have to contact the people in my local community or can I look at bigger cities in California or should I just get over it? I'll learn a lot. And even if they ask me to come in, that's fine. I haven't decided that a non-negotiable right now is I'll only work from home, but certainly in the long term, that's going to be a non-negotiable. And Tatiana, um, the websites for these firms and bookkeepers are not amazing. And so I don't want to just judge them on their websites. Um, (sighs) So I'm wondering if I just
0: throw it out there and call people and I don't worry about it. Or if you have like specific things to look for. I would recommend to start with a resume. Um, And you, I think it's because you're a teacher, especially, um, you know, for those who are listening, who are teachers or former teachers, you know, I know that there's a lot of guilt related to teaching, to leaving teaching and things like that. And same with mom, there's a lot of mom guilt. There's a lot of guilt all around, honestly. I don't think that it actually depends on, anything um, specific, any, any industry or any profession. But you, I would love for you to have a resume where you would put in um, the certification, the um, other education that you've got, and, and highlight the skills that you bring in from teaching in your bookkeeping experience as well. And basically use that resume to send out to different accounting firms with a catchy um, um, subject line, which, you know, just common sense, Uh, for for any marketing. But um, the idea is that you have 15 seconds to grab their attention. And the first thing that you say is that um, try to be concise. Um, And (laughs) and, and what your selling point is that you're a really good bookkeeper because you know the basics, you know the accounting fundamentals that most bookkeepers are missing. And you can uh, take on some of their uh, cleanup or because cleanup projects are easier to get because they are one time projects um, or overflow ongoing work. Um, you don't have to start with a local community, but okay. um, because, the, you know, the emails work anywhere in the country. So um, naturally, bigger cities have more small businesses and that's why their accountants are more are busier. Um, And so they're more likely to have overflow work. But start with the resume so that it's always attached to the email in PDF and send that resume out with a few lines of of introduction of yourself. And we can work on your resume offline where I can help you kind of um, edit it um, before you send it out to accountants. Accountants are looking for, in terms of a bookkeeper, they're looking for someone who can come in and doesn't need to be babysat. Um, okay. that's that's how you're going to get a response from them. Bookkeeping firms um, are typically, like I know a number of bookkeeping firms, but I don't know what type of service, like what quality of service they provide. But it's still a good experience because you can get your hands on different businesses in different industries, and that's very powerful. Because for me, that was really interesting because I thought how like how, – like, um, a clothing business works, and then um, a dropship business, and then a marketing business, a PR business. I've seen all of those things, and for me, that was transformational because I didn't just see one business uh, year after year. It was very different, production, all kinds of different businesses. And for me, that was eye-opening because different people did things differently. Um, and you know, also, one of your selling points is that because you're a good bookkeeper... You can spot opportunities inside of clients' books. So when you do cleanup projects, or let's say the the very common one is, oh, we haven't done books for this year. We need a year-to-date books done, which is it's very common. Uh, You know, people who start businesses. Let's say someone started in twenty twenty-one, they kind of scrambled at a little spreadsheet with income and expenses. Now they need real books done. And so you would have that in an accounting firm where they will have new clients, they'll be onboarding, um, and they will have a cleanup project. And this is something that you can come in, not really be a babysitter, you know, need to be babysitter by an accountant, which is what we want because we don't want to supervise you. We want to be sure that you do it right. And really, um, spot opportunities to offer that client more services by an accounting firm. Like this is another selling point, great selling point. Beyond getting the books done well, that's another thing that is very beneficial to keep your eye um, on the red flags, on the flags in general within the books. Uh, maybe they're making this much money. We need to be sure that, okay, the accountant needs to run a projection so that they, the, account, the client doesn't get stuck paying a huge tax bill with money that they don't have because they've already spent it. Okay. Things like that, or maybe they're spending too much in marketing. Um, maybe they need to set a budget for that that kind of stuff um, and so uh, that's a really good selling point for you and for an accounting firm as well, the same with bookkeeping firms. You would not um tell them anything about their staff if it's listed on their website. Uh, there's no point in that. You can just um, differentiate you as opposed to you know saying something about their you know staff or whatever. And that's really important. Does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely.
1: Because actually other people I spoke to told me not to include a resume. And so coming from you who's in the business, that's perfect. Um, And I have one started. And let me ask you this. Obviously I can put the volunteer for my work for on my resume and any bookkeeping work I've done. But here's my question. Even though I'm new, I can still project myself as a great bookkeeper because I feel like I'm going to become a great bookkeeper, but I'm still novice. So I think you're just saying, no, you're already a great bookkeeper. You're just not as experienced as some others. But also my background is a selling point because I'm obviously a professional and I've done problem solving work my whole life. So that's very helpful. Um, And also, yes.
0: One thing I wanted to mention that. When you add the experience that you're doing now, um, the pro bono experience, I would not mention anywhere that it's anything volunteer because you're doing real work. Okay. You're not getting paid for it. doesn't matter. And, okay. So, you know, okay. Yeah. And in terms of including the resume, the natural, this is how accountants work. The accountants think, uh, like you send a great email. The next thing will be, they will ask you for your resume. So. Okay. in 90% just, of cases. So you might as well just include it so that, uh, yes. skip the, that extra step.
1: Yes. Just, I've already answered that question for you. I don't need babysitting. I've already included my resume and here's, and my thought is after I send that email, I follow up with a call the next, a few days later. I don't just, cause so many emails come in. So I will be the person who calls them and, or I was just going to cold call, but I did think it'd be better to send an email with a resume and a, and a little short pitch and then call a few days later. It sounds like you. Agree with right. that. Yeah. Okay. That's, um, I love that. Okay. So all these sources want me to answer this question. Who is my ideal client or customer? Um, they also, unlike your recommendations often say to pick a niche. And I know you don't love a niche because it lets kind of your antennae aren't out for new things. And I also feel very early to pick a niche, although I think I'm going to like cleanup work. Um, when you described it in the course, when I hear about it, I was like, ooh, I mean, I know we it's a good thing to do for one-time money, but I also feel like I might like it until I get sick of it. So, huh. <laughs> when, so my ideal client or customer, like, I'm so low, low bar, I'm like, they're kind and respect me and they pay me. Like, <laughs> that's like where I am. And so is that really a question I need to answer right
0: now in my career? Or can I maybe think about it in a few months? You can think about it a year from now. Um, And it's too soon for you to pick a niche. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, there is this expression, the riches are in the niches. I sort of disagree with that for the reason that I've shared that you, you get so used to the same thing. And that's how accountants, as they become partners, they stop questioning the quality of the books and the quality of the tax returns and in traditional firms and I always keep learning from new industries because I keep, first of all, I learn from them, but I also keep an eye out for for things that I've seen in other industries. And, you know, if you've heard of Mike Michalowicz, right, Profit First, he often yes. talks about, he's like, he recommends everyone to R&D, and d standing for research, um, rip off and duplicate. <laughs> yeah. um, so he actually, before COVID, he was saying that he used to, go to different industries like a tractor supply industry. I don't know, all kinds of like refrigeration conferences to see if he can find something new, a new approach, a new um, tool, a new skill from different industries. And I think that that's important. You, you will eventually potentially um, niche down, but it will take time because if, mm. if you decide, oh, I'm going to specialize in design firms, great. What does that mean? You're going to say no to uh, to another business? No, um, and I think that it's important in terms of the ideal client to think about not how they not only how they treat you. That's important. They need to respect what you do for them, mm-hmm. um, and also they need to respect that work. That it's not just I need a bookkeeper. Ugh, I hate paying you know for for this stuff and that kind of stuff. What I'm looking for in a client is they know the importance of books. They know the importance of getting their numbers right. The clients that understand the value of what you do. And maybe they understand, ideally, I would like for them to, understand, to have, some, have some basics of numbers of how to um, run a report and look at it. But that I also teach through working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so they don't have to have that upfront but I do want them to have the attitude of, this is my business. I'm the CEO. I want to do it right. I want to do it right, but not overpay tax. Um, And I want to have my books done right because that's important for me to make decisions in business. And so if
1: you had a client where you felt like some of their choices with their books made you uncomfortable, then you wouldn't want that person to be your client probably anymore.
0: Correct. I actually had this situation like this, and this is this was 10 maybe nine years ago my sister worked for this client as a bookkeeper the client uh, was argentinian but she lived with her boyfriend and her son in mexico and um, um in since 2009 actually probably a little bit before that um the irs has been kind of doubling down on the uh, foreign bank account holders so u.s citizens who had foreign bank accounts and so i was in the heat of the, of that process. I was working at a firm where we, where we had a lot of those projects and we had an engagement letter. We had one separate page where they have to sign every year, whether or not they have a foreign bank account. This woman, um, didn't sign, didn't pick an option, just signed it. I was like, you have to pick an option. You have to send me the signature. She then said, no, you know, pick, no, I don't have any accounts. Send me the paper and stuff. And a few months later, my sister said that somebody called asking how they can pay her for an an invoice. And they asked whether they should wire the money into her Mexican account. As soon as I found that I'd never told her um, anything like that. Uh, But I, you know, I just said, listen, I can't help you anymore. But um, it was a huge liability for me, because I'm responsible for it, even though she can turn around and say she gets sued by the government. She can turn around and say, oh, you never told me I was supposed to disclose it. Even though I have a signed paper from her, I decided that because she doesn't have the um, integrity that I can't work with her. So I, uh, within a month, I actually, we stopped uh, doing business. And she was surprised that I stopped doing business, But I, and I never explained why. But integrity is everything for me. If the okay. client wants to break the law, it's not going to be on my watch because I don't want to be responsible for it.
1: Perfect. That's how I feel too. Um Okay. So I have already mentioned, I don't feel like a natural business woman. Um, and I imagining other people who go into bookkeeping might also feel the same as me that they don't feel like a natural business woman. So this might apply to other people. Um, things I'll just talk about money. I, I know I need to get over this and I know my work is valuable, but asking for money for my work, like setting a price. I have feelings around that um and the idea that i'm going to need i from every video and everything i watch they talk about raising your prices regularly and I, and I can imagine that i will actually start at a lower price point because i'm new and so i that would nas- naturally be something i need to do in the next couple of years um but maybe this is multiple questions because we're kind of talking about marketing and not being a natural businesswoman. I don't love the Facebook and the Instagram. It's not, I had to, for my own benefits, take them off my devices. And I know that that's a marketing place for a lot of businesses. I'm not sure that it's something I need to do for bookkeeping. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. I do have a website and a LinkedIn profile, but I know you don't just do bookkeeping. You do a lot of big things now, but what are your thoughts on somebody who doesn't feel like a natural businesswoman Because... The inner critic in me will say, well, if you're not willing to market yourself, and if you're worried about charging blank for your services, then why are you even going into bookkeeping? But I think I'm going to really like the keeping of books. And I've had a wonderful time in my client meetings. It's like parent-teacher conferences where nobody's going to yell at you. Like, I'm like, oh, I've done this before. Um, So what are your thoughts on somebody who feels how I feel and, you know, the social media aspect of it all?
0: First of all, in terms of asking for the minimum of $25 an hour for your first few clients, you have to do it. This is something that if you have reservations about, you have to get over them and do it anyway. Uh, and if you ever heard me t- talking about the diving board story, you have to acknowledge the fear and do it anyway. The reason is this. For a business owner, does it matter if you ask for 20 or $25 an hour? No. The reason is this. If it takes you 10 hours a month, that's a difference of 50 bucks. Do they mm-hmm. care about fifty bucks? They probably spend more. If they have an iPhone or a Google, uh, an Android, they don't care because they were they spend more, ten times, twenty times more on a phone. So, minimum twenty five dollars an hour as a freelance bookkeeper. There's no question about that, um, and uh, it would go into your LLC and everything else. Um, so you have all you have to have all of that set up in terms of social media. When you are really good you will be recommended in the word of mouth, you know, by, by word of mouth, um, to each other. And account, accountants will recommend you, business owners will recommend you. Um, and also there are community organizations like, um, you know, maybe a, cha- a local chamber of commerce, maybe something else. I, I'm not a huge fan. I don't, I'm an introvert. I love, I don't love networking. Um, but, um, I've had, I've just received, um, a client a couple of months ago, um, because because and this client went out to his wife was in the community and and i don't know if it was a group or just like a church thing or whatever i don't really know the history there i just know it was in the community and she asked you know my husband needs a bookkeeper for these couple of projects and the bookkeeper that i actually know um who uh, you know the realities is not great i don't love how she works um was recommended. And so I'm stuck working with her. (laughs) But, um, but it is what it is, you know, like, I already know what to watch out for when I check her work. She never took my program. She uh, was a finance major in college. And, and she does a lot of work for accounting firms. But given she already works for another client of mine. And I, and she was the one, you know, if you ever watched my webinar, uh, bookkeeping your way to freedom, she was the one who missed that, Carried interest classification and cost the client fifty grand. So, um, but you know, she found the this other client that I now have uh, through a community. So, but you don't have okay. to be a local community. Like you don't have to step out of your comfort zone. You need to look at maybe job boards and Indeed. Sometimes um, um, ZipRecruiter, I think, uh, in, um, not Instagram. LinkedIn is a big one because all accountants are on LinkedIn whether they're active or not, they're all on LinkedIn, they have good profiles and everything, you can just target reach out to those as a as a first uh, for, you know, one of the steps first or second or third. Um, you don't have to be on Facebook or Instagram or anything else. It's really not necessary. Um, you only do that when you need, want to be a thought leader. Um, and when you want to grow a community and that kind of stuff, that's when you need social media, there's no way to do it without that. But at this, you know, this, um, in this period of our growth as a society or not growth, um, <laughs> but, um, development, I guess is the better word for it, but that's, does that answer your question in terms of the yes. social media? And- yes.
1: I'm going to put myself out there, but just in different ways, it doesn't have to be the social media. And right. I'm fine with 25 as my base pay because I know teenagers are getting $16 an hour to work at Target or Correct. what have you. Um, I was like $40 and even with accounting firms, I think you're saying I should probably have a figure in mind also maybe be open to what they have to say, but never accept less than $25 an hour. And here's a follow-up question on job postings. Tatiana, I haven't seen a single bookkeeping job posting that doesn't say one to three years of experience. And you wouldn't believe what some of these things like they will even say, they want you to have a degree in finance and they're offering these people $25 an hour on indeed. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So would you say if something looks like a place I might want to work, regardless of their requirements for experience, just go ahead and and
0: offer my service? Okay. I would. And the reason is that, you know, I I have this one client that we've hired already two accountants for staff accountant, and we're going to hire a controller as well, an in-house controller. Um, and, at first, for the first, you know, we've interviewed a, a bunch of people, we've interviewed, we've gotten resumes for, with both accounting and finance degrees, meaning like some people had one, some people had another. And so um, the thing is that we, I was hung up on getting someone with an accounting degree, but actually after the latest hire that it didn't turn out to be really a great person, not a great person, but not lack of effort and lack of motivation to actually do stuff. I said to my client, I said, you know what? We might as well just get a bookkeeper, someone who's really good. Maybe one of my graduates, it's a full-time job in New York city. And so, um, it's on, you know, on premises. Um, so it doesn't work for all of my graduates, but it might work for someone. And so, cause I found that these people with accounting degrees can't, you know, when I asked the question about, give me an example of an equity account, they start telling me, oh, it's, you know, stock shares of stock in the stock market. I'm like, no. (laughs) People can't, with an accounting degree, cannot answer a question of what a basic accounting equation is. Like, how can I trust them to do anything beyond writing checks? You know what I mean? Like, um, I can't even trust them to do bookkeeping. And those are people with degrees who actually went to college. So in terms of applying for work, I've had one of my friends, um, she took some accounting courses in college and then she switched to marketing as a major because it was easy, because it was fun. Her boyfriend was there uh, also and stuff. And so she finished with a marketing degree. She worked for five years in, in, at a media company and um, she, the company was closing down or they were outsourcing the department or something, or she hit a ceiling in terms of the salary. And um there was this, there was this company, yogurt company called Siggies. Uh It's, you know, fairly well-known, um, big, big company in New York City. Um, they, I mean, obviously they supply all over the, all over the country, but they had an opening. She saw an ad about an opening for accounts receivable position. And I was like, listen, you've taken principles of accounting. She actually has gotten to probably um, the second level of accounting. I forgot what that uh, level is called. The third one is advanced. The first one is principles. And then um, something in the middle. Um, so she got through that and I was like, you apply and you tell them, listen, I know that my resume doesn't have the experience that you're, that you have, but here's the thing. I have the really solid knowledge. Um, I, I'm, I'm really excited to work for your company. I really like the people here which did, um, and what she did. and I am really motivated to make it work. Would you give me a chance? And they did. And, And so when, when that company outsourced after a few years, they have outsourced their accounting department, they had to do it. I don't know, for whatever reason, she actually was already a controller in the company, you know? And so, um, I think that it's a lot of times people who want to hire an accountant or a bookkeeper don't know, um, don't know what they're looking for exactly. Just like I wasn't okay. sure, I, wa- I was hung up on the accounting degree because I need someone to know the basics, but a great bookkeeper would do just as well and will, would be motivated to work for the money that they were offering. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. So even if they ask for, you know, I was uh, in your place in 2006 when I was applying for jobs and, you know, for freelance jobs as a bookkeeper I also was like every, you know, people are asking for five years of experience. Well, you know what? With five years of experience, I'm not going to take 25 bucks an hour. Sorry. Like, <laughs> um, and so, so either I don't apply for that job or, um, or I, if I really want it, uh, then I apply, but I say, listen, I know that I don't have exactly the experience you're looking for, but I, I bet I can be better than anyone else or something like that. I like that. I like addressing it like just right away. Um, Okay, so
1: let's talk about contracts or engagement letters for clients. I don't think I would need that with a bookkeeping or accounting firm. I imagine they would have that form that they use for their freelance bookkeepers. Um, But I have one from a bookkeeper in Oregon. And and I know you cannot get legal advice. So if you're just going to say pass, you can say pass. But I'm wondering, let's say I was to get a client and need this engagement letter or bookkeeping contract in the next coming months. Should I just find a freaking California lawyer and have somebody look over it so that I know it's good? Or do you think somebody else's contract from another state that was looked over by a lawyer in that state would suffice?
0: I actually will provide um, once the launch is over, I will provide um, some templates for that because it's important. So it's going to be a basic contract. Um, I'll basically use the AICPA's um, contract for bookkeeping services. They have one of those and share it with the students because the AICPA, uh, first of all, their engagement letters are super long, but you know what? It's fine because um, and you're, I feel like, when you have an engagement letter, it sets expectations. And that's really important for me. Boundaries and expectations. This is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. If I feel that we're not auditing your work, but if I feel like you're breaking the law, we will disengage. Also in that engagement letter, you you enter the prices and then you also reserve the right to raise those prices every six to 12 months. Okay. You don't have to raise those prices, but that engagement letter will have that as an option. And for you... Um, you know, since you're not a CPA, you don't have the professional liability insurance issues with that, but I would still have that for every client. It makes them feel confident in your services that you take it seriously. It makes you feel that, you know, there's a clear boundary for your responsibility and liability and everything else. Um, And also it's a really good to have. So I will definitely share that. You don't need a lawyer for that. I mean, for even for an accounting firm, we didn't uh, need a lawyer. I took the AICPA, I removed some stuff, I added some stuff and that's it. Okay. And I did um, get business
1: insurance. So I feel good about having that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a good, it's a good thing to have. Not that you have, you absolutely need it, but I think that it will feel account, make accountants feel confident. So that should definitely be one of your bullet points yeah, um, that okay. you have the engagement letter that you have the insurance um, that actually will tell them, Oh, this person is serious about, about the, doing the work that she's doing. Um, because almost no bookkeeper does that.
1: Okay. So should I check with my actual insurance and make sure the errors and omissions insurance would include if I was working for an accounting or bookkeeping firm? Should I confirm that? Um,
0: It doesn't matter because it covers the work that you do, not who you do it for.
1: Okay. Um, oh, I like hearing that it's going to make them think I care about all the details and I take it seriously. Okay. Nobody um, does
0: that.
1: Oh, well, look at, look at, okay. So, um, this, this is also kind of a vulnerable question, but again, I think there are going to be early bookkeepers who might benefit from me asking you this. Um, I know that starting a new career, completely new career. And I think most teachers stick with education, something in the field, I'm going to be making mistakes and you've already seen me make mistakes and like ask stupid questions, Um, And it already feels like it's getting better, but I think I need to just get over, like, you're going to be making mistakes and these people, you know, not that the people I work for are necessarily going to see it. I'm learning skills of problem solving on my own, but you know, I guess I'm just going to ask you this. Are adults more kind about mistakes than teenagers are? Because like in my early years of teaching or with certain teenagers, if you make a mistake, oh my, like you, that grudge is held for the rest of the school year. And you are just stupid because you couldn't answer that question. This was like the first few years of teaching. Like when I would take on a really like honors biochemistry from another teacher or something. And like, it was, I don't ever want to go back to that feeling of being in my twenties and having a teenager make me feel stupid. And again, maybe this is stuff from my past, but like, um, there's just this hurdle inside of me about like, you're going to make mistakes. And I know that Worrying about making mistakes or looking stupid is an enemy of learning and I need to move forward. But I'm also just, I wonder if it's like spending your time, what I spent 20 years doing. And I
0: guess I want you to tell me that I'm, you know, that it's going to be okay. <laughs> First of all, it's going to be okay. But, uh, you know, I personally have a love-hate relationship with mistakes because I want to be perfect. Um, yes. But Everyone makes mistakes and nobody's perfect. That's the reality. Um, the, I guess what makes people mad about mistakes the most is when you try to defend it. So when I, if I make a mistake, when I make mistakes, I apologize. I admit that I made a mistake. Yes, it's my mistake. I first dig, dig through it because I once had a client. This was probably eight years ago. <clears throat> fairly new client. We've been only working together for a few months. Um, he basically sent me a text where he was like, I think this is not going to work out, Um, you know, whatever, because you haven't been splitting the bill from this company between freight and shipping. There's a difference. Freight is bringing uh, goods in. Shipping is to shipping it to the customers, different cost and stuff. And I was like, you know, sure, that's no problem. You know, it's your business, your choice, your decision – but, um, I looked at it and I was like, I looked through what this person before me did and they didn't split it up. So I just followed suit. Um, maybe this was wrong. And I was supposed to ask you, you know, a few minutes later, he like apologized and was like, sorry, I didn't mean to like fire you. Let's work together, blah, blah, blah. And we've been working together ever since. did to and fire you. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but, but, um. I first want to make sure that, yes, I made a mistake. This is for me because I want to know, like, how did that even happen? And second of all, um, I want to prevent it from happening again. That's number two. And uh, number three is that um, I admit my mistake and I ensure that I don't make that mistake again. Um, right. so either, whether I put reminders for myself or, or whatever it is that I have to do, uh, I d- create the tool so that it doesn't happen. Um, and in terms of making mistakes, um, first of all, when I work, I always take notes because there's always, Oh, I should ask the client this, or I should ask their accountant that, um, I always keep uh, a, uh, a, a, like an email open or a base camp open where I'm like, okay, bullet point questions or, Um, clarifications or whatever. Um, That's a good, really good habit. And also notes as to what you did. I keep notes of what I did. um, So it's easy for me to go back in time. I've had clients who've disengaged, um, let's say mid-year because they decided, oh, this was too expensive Um, for them. I was like, okay, so I would total up their meetings. I would total up the work that I've done. And be like, okay, now you owe me this, or um, or we're we're even. And so it's always good to take notes when you work. Um, yeah. In terms of you know mistakes, you admit that you will make them, um, mm-hmm. and when you do make them, to prevent any sort of um, negative um, input from accountants, accountants won't tell you, you know, oh, you made a mistake, you're stupid, but they may not hire you again. Um, okay. so especially if you defend yourself and so, um, admit the mistake and, and do everything in your power to fix it and prevent it from happening again. I think that, I think that's the best approach and that's something that will, um, ensure that you will get hired over and over. Um and also, you know, when, when something like that happens, I then, after I made a mistake, when I do the same process next time I send the accountant or the client or whatever, which I don't work with accountants obviously anymore, but I send them, okay, I entered this, I did it right. And I do that for at least a month after I've made a mistake so that they know that I'm, that I keep that in mind. Um, next time I work. Got it. Um,
1: you're reminding me that I learned that in teaching. I would publicly apologize to my class for a mistake I made, even with one kid, if I did it in front of the whole class. And that it, and yes, some kids never going to forgive you. That's fine. But it did revolutionize things. And I was going to ask you this, when you take those notes for, on your clients, which I have also started doing, um is that on the clock? Like, is that part of like, if it's not a fixed rate, is that part of your hourly fee, like making notes on what you did? Or is that kind of on your time?
0: I write it down. It's, you know, it's a bullet point. So I write it down as I go. I don't separate that. But in terms of billing, I think it's an important point because you don't bill for every minute. What I do is I bill, I used to bill in 15 minute increments. So if I'm working, you know, 37 minutes, uh, I'm billing you for 45.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I had another question, but it left my brain. So this has been so helpful and I'm excited to listen. I don't really want to listen to myself back, but I'm excited to listen back and like uh, scribble down everything you said for now and for the future.
0: So thank you awesome.
1: for your time, mentoring of time. One-on-one.
0: I'm just uh, looking at the questions that you've sent to me. Uh, yeah, I think that you're your worst critic. That's definitely, uh, definitely true. Um, I am my own worst critic. I know I have, um, I get imposter syndrome every, at least once a day, uh, for something, whether it's, you know, books or client relationships or anything else. Um, and let's see. Um, I think that everything else, um, we've addressed all of the questions that you've had, um, and you don't need to be, you know, natural or feel like a natural businesswoman. You need to, um, you need to do you, not somebody else. Um, you need to do good work, ask for, 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 to get paid for that work, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, set boundaries so that you can live the life that you want. That's the most important part.
1: I just thought of something. It seems like once I become a good bookkeeper, and I can then I can be an advisor, as we've talked about in your training. But I am interested in tax preparation um, and stuff like tax repair and stuff like that. So I don't think I have a question. I think I'm just saying that the, after you're a good bookkeeper, there are other fancy words you've used that I think are an option for somebody who wants to move up. Or you can just stay a bookkeeper because you enjoy the work. Um, man, that, you should just cut this last part out. That was... That was a bumble.
0: <laughs> well, uh, first of all, there's no edits uh, on this podcast, but um, but keep that in the back of your mind. Um, don't do it all at once. You need to get really good at one thing, which is bookkeeping is a great part of it. Because if you're good at bookkeeping, then you can add tax on top of that. Um, and again, you don't need a license for it, but you need theory knowledge and also practical knowledge on how to set up your tax practice. And it's definitely something that a lot of people look to do, but um, you know, it's, it works for some people. It doesn't work for for others. Like the this girl Nadia that I talk about often, because she she was the one who really prompted me to create the course. She considered taxes, but she was like, "I'm not really excited about that." And I, uh, you know, I actually had her learn some theory behind it, and she stuck with bookkeeping because she was like, "I don't need this." Oh,
1: perfect. So
0: be open for things to develop either in either direction, that's totally fine. But at the same time, you know, I would recommend maybe um, six or 12 months from now uh, for you to look at first getting the theoretical knowledge in their programs that teach theory. I'm not looking to teach theory, but I can teach practical stuff, how to set up your practice, how to what you need and what you need to set up before you even start. But definitely something that's a lot easier to, um, get going once you have a solid base of bookkeeping clients. Okay.
1: I remember my question. I'm so sorry. I (laughs) articles have popped up on my Google now that are like small businesses are moving away from outsourcing their bookkeeping and accounting. And you can find the same article saying something else, but what are, and I, and I, and I think about it and I'm like, okay, I can see that, but I can also see that these small business owners really need a bookkeeper. And I don't see how a machine is ever going to properly do all these things correctly in the software. Like you're always going to need a human to fix a few things and yeah. to look at your numbers and say, Hey, this shouldn't be negative on your balance sheet. So should young bookkeepers, you know, be aware of that, but also not be persuaded away from the career? Because I found a 2019 article that said the boomers are retiring and there's going to be a bookkeeping shortage. And I've heard about bookkeeping shortages, especially for good bookkeepers in urban areas. So do you have thoughts on that if we haven't gone too long?
0: Um, we haven't. We're fine on time. Uh, but um, my opinion is this. And I've, you know, I've been in the industry forever, right? I've seen all kinds of different things. I've seen bots doing bookkeeping. I know of bookkeeping firms, I don't know them personally, that use bots for their bookkeeping. All the power to them. If that works for them and their clients, there's nothing I can say or do to change their mind. But I personally would not do that. Because it's much more than just plugging categories into the transactions. Um, it's much deeper knowledge and understanding and evaluation of each transaction and its c- category in terms of reasonableness, in terms of reasonableness, not only in general, but also for this specific business. Yes. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of moving parts. And I'm not afraid of, of AI taking over at all. The reason is that, first of all, as a bookkeeper, if it ever happens, if AI takes over and does bookkeeping perfectly, you get to look at the numbers and advise your clients and charge more money for that, too. But we're probably at least 50 years away from that. Okay. And also, um, every business, you know, when you file a tax return, every business has to list its um, NAICS code. It's sort of telling the IRS what industry the business is in. And then their IRS has its benchmarking for for different industries and averages and all of those things, which they use a supercomputer to analyze to see if they want to pull you up for an audit. Um, And so something that's reasonable for, let's say, a performance business like um, makeup or whatever, right, or hair care is not reasonable for an accounting business. So there's always going to be that reasonableness test that is impossible to automate, at least not right now. So okay. I'm not afraid at all um and I wouldn't read too much into it. I do think that you know Intuit um at QuickBooks Connect of 2019 um, Intuit Accountant Lead talked about um how 70 I think it was over 70%. I don't remember the exact number. I think maybe even close to 80% of businesses in the US did not have a bookkeeper or an accountant. Wow. So we're not talking about um, lack of jobs. Let's put it this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's always going to be demand for bookkeepers and especially great ones. Um, traditional accounting firms are busier than ever before. I mean, and they're all killing themselves and they hate it, but they still keep doing it. So great bookkeeping will always be in demand.
1: Okay. And just from looking at three companies' books, I can, I can tell how it's, it's personal to the business. And if somebody takes a personal interest in the books, they really can help the business and make sure things are right. Like and everybody's books are really different. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your questions. I hope it was helpful for people who are listening. I know we went close to an hour, which is great because I think there was a lot of value and a lot of good questions. Um, And I hope that it was helpful to you and also to people who are listening. So thanks so much for being a great guest. It was very helpful to me. Thank you. Awesome. All right. See you everybody next week for another episode of Talk to Tatiana. And thanks so much for watching or listening.